0: Today's scripture reading comes from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Before hearing the word, let us pray. Come to our expectant hearts, O God. If we are too excited, quiet our hearts that we might hear you. If we are too complacent, stir us up that we might notice you. Come to us in whatever way we need you, and make us aware of your presence and your promise. Amen the word that isaiah son of amos saw concerning judah and jerusalem in days to come the mountains of the lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills all the nations shall stream to it many people shall come and say come let us go up to the mountain of the lord to the house of the god of jacob that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths for out of zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
1: Well, when it comes to Advent, Madeline Lingle calls it the irrational season. The little sigh I heard from you means you know what she's talking about, and I do too. Back before I was in seminary, before church work kept me rather occupied this time of year, I used to drive back to Michigan and spend Christmas with my family. It was a 12 hour drive from Virginia, and one year in particular, it was December 23rd, just a few minutes before midnight, by the time I made my way down my parents' sleepy, snowy street. Most of the houses, of course, were dark by that hour. A few had their Christmas lights still lit up outside. It was a picturesque, silent night, and all was calm until I turned into my parents' driveway, where nothing was calm, and the entire house was lit up bright. So filled with trepidation, I opened the front door, and I saw myself standing in what appeared to be an episode of Extreme Makeover Home Edition, or Fixer Upper, or some show like that, except it was the point in the show when the hosts want you to believe that they are never going to finish on time. And I should just say here that all of this is 100% true. Doors had been taken off the hinges, several walls were half-painted, new curtains and blinds were stacked on the floor of the living room, no furniture was in sight, four Christmas trees were piled up on the back deck, and the kitchen was an explosion of flour, frosting, and fruitcake. My mother explained that the family was coming over for Christmas. Now, there's a couple of things you need to know about that statement. The first is that my dad's parents had traditionally hosted the annual family Christmas celebration, but both of them had died in the past two months. So my parents had boldly declared that they would host. The second thing you need to know is that my father is one of seven children and my grandmother was one of 13. There are small towns in South Carolina with smaller populations than my family, and my parents had invited them all over and then thought that was the perfect motivation for a few small home improvements. (laughs) When exactly did you start this project, I asked. That remains one of the most ill-advised sentences I have ever uttered. (laughs) This morning, my mother said, And, honey, she said, it's so good to see you. Pick up a paintbrush. (laughs) This is the irrational season. Now, at some point, I fell asleep on the floor near a ladder because there was no furniture. I woke up to a long list of errands my mother and I were tasked to complete while my father took care of everything else. Now, we made good time, And the last errand was stopping by the bird store to pick up bird food for the unruly macaw my parents had adopted a few years earlier. That bird of theirs was a giant, and he was mean, and he and I were mortal enemies. (laughs) I am still terrified of oversized birds, and I am anxious when in a confined space with feathers, So while my mother selected the right food and made small talk with the clerk because I grew up in the Midwest, I stood in the corner quietly near the employee's office and tried to avoid eye contact with anything. Which is how I noticed that inside that office was a cardboard box with three puppies inside. An employee mentioned that someone had left them outside the store overnight. But this was a bird store. They didn't deal in puppies, so they were being dropped off at the Humane Society later that day. Still avoiding the birds, I picked up a squirming puppy. He was brown and black, and he licked my face and settled one paw on each of my shoulders, laid his head against my neck, and fell asleep. I didn't put him down again. You cannot possibly, possibly think you are bringing home a puppy right now," my mother said. But y'all, I could see it in her eyes. Those were empty words. (laughs) And so my dog Riley, the first dog I ever called my own, came home on that Christmas Eve day. Because this is the irrational season. I'm not even close to done. (laughs) We headed home. My mother was rehearsing the way she would calmly explain to my father about the newest member of the family. I, on the other hand, was certain that the adorable abandoned puppy factor needed no further explanation. We walked in. My father looked down from the ladder, and he said, I'm not even going to ask. And then he said, you should probably go look in the living room. In the living room was my brother, holding the puppy he had adopted a few hours earlier. (laughs) My mother closed her eyes, and to this day, that is all I'm allowed to say about that moment. (laughs) Now, I wish that I could tell you that the next day, Generations of McDevitts arrived to a flawless house, an elaborate feast, and perfectly behaved puppies. But that would be a lie. What I can tell you is that they arrived to a house that was half put back together, mostly painted, hardly decorated. One set of curtains was actually hanging upside down, something we wouldn't discover for over a week. Dinner was served late, Altogether, four dogs ran in and around people's legs, and at least one puppy, certainly not mine, peed in an unauthorized location. (laughs) And no one minded. It remains the Christmas that we still talk about. It remains the Christmas filled with lots of laughter, which was entirely unexpected on that first Christmas without my grandparents. It remains the Christmas where everyone saw evidence that sometimes, oftentimes, life is just utterly unpredictable. And it remains the Christmas where everyone who walked through the front door encountered not absolute perfection, but rather a hastily lettered poster board that read, Welcome to our home. It is a work in progress. We believe that the beauty of possibility is stronger than the confines of reality. (laughs) This is the irrational season. A season in which the beauty of possibility is always stronger than the confines of the reality around us. And that possibility, that is why we light the candle of hope on this day. And by the way, that full quote from Madeline Lingle, This is the irrational season, when love blooms bright and wild. For if Mary had been filled with reason, there'd have been no room for the child. Hope is a little irrational, isn't it? Or maybe a lot irrational. Just listen to the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah is convinced that a day will surely come when all of God's people will listen to and obey God's teachings. And as a result of that, they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And if you look around the world today, well, that sort of vision seems irrational doesn't it? The idea that swords and spears would be turned into plowshares and pruning hooks. The idea that we would take the weapons we use to fight one another and turn them into the tools we need to feed one another. But as unlikely as it may seem to us today, it was just as unlikely back in Isaiah's day. He spoke to his people in the midst of tremendous turmoil. A strong and respected leader, King Uzziah, had died. The new king was weak, and so threats were pouring in from every side. People and kingdoms were being destroyed left and right. Conflict was around every corner. Neighbors feared one another. Everything that people had come to depend on was melting down and darkness and despair seemed to be the only common language. Anyone in their right mind could see that things were only going to get a lot worse before they got any better. And into all of this comes our prophet Isaiah and he says, guess what? Great news, everyone. It's going to be okay. Actually, it's going to be better than okay. It's going to be better than it ever has been before. So you can see why the prophets themselves were considered irrational. So it may be that a word about prophets is helpful here. We've talked about this before, but that's when I was talking into a camera, not to your faces. Most of the time, we tend to think of prophets as people who are able to predict the future. And we think of prophecy as maybe something that's akin to holy fortune telling. But that's not quite right, at least not as it pertains to biblical prophets. Biblical prophets like Isaiah, their gift was not the ability to see the future. Their gift was the ability to see the present, but to see it through God's eyes. And because they could see the present in a way that most of us cannot, well, that gave them a different view of the future. If they were left to look at the world around them through only human eyes, well, Isaiah and all the rest of them, they would have sounded different. It would have sounded more like you and I, wishing but wondering, eager but uncertain. But that is not their tone. In the days to come, Isaiah says, people of every sort will flock to God's house and they will seek out God's understanding and they will live by God's intention. And when that happens, not if, but when, then they will turn their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. They will never again hurt one another. They will be too busy helping one another. It sounds irrational, but maybe that's because hope is irrational. And if hope is irrational, that's because faith is irrational. And that's okay, because don't you think that might be exactly what we need? God's love is the single most irrational thing I know. but let's not get too carried away. Irrational, it's not the same thing as magical. Christmas might sometimes feel magical, but our entire faith is pinned upon the conviction that it is anything but. Because magic is smoke and mirrors and sleight of hand. There is nothing slight about our faith and there is nothing slight about Isaiah's language. They will beat their swords into plowshares, he says. And a literal translation of that verb in the Hebrew, it means they will crush to pieces. They will pulverize and obliterate. And that could refer to understanding what astonishing physical effort would be required or it could be symbolic but in any case Isaiah says our swords will not become plowshares without enormous effort and yet Isaiah has hope irrational but very real hope that we will get there his hope his irrational, very real, seen through God's eyes, hope. It turns our attention to the present work needed that can make such a grand dream possible and possible in days that are surely and swiftly coming to us. This is the irrational season when hope blooms bright and wild. For if Mary had been filled with reason, there'd have been no room for a child. I don't know about you, but that kind of hope, that is hope enough for me to light a candle and to pray that the light that it shines will help us see like the prophets. That we will see not only what needs to be done, we will see how we, you and I together, we will see how we really can help usher in God's promised day, no matter how much chaos swirls around us. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe, help our unbelief.